the latest in agricultural media, and some smart conversation. This is the Ag Communicators Network podcast, and here's your host, Kelsey Litchfield. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the AgCom Network podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Litchfield, and if this is our first time meeting, welcome, and thanks so much for tuning in. Today, I'm bringing you two great guests who have been wanting to have on the podcast to talk about their recent success at Ag Media Summit. Bryce Knorr and Mike Wilson of Farm Futures wrote the story, Farm Like Pharaoh, and took home Story of the Year at Ag Media Summit. If you haven't read the story yet, be sure to check the show notes and there's a link to the story. Go ahead and read it before you listen to this podcast if you haven't yet. Today, Bryce and Mike will talk about how this award-winning story came together, their editorial mission at Farm Futures, how to be a great storyteller, and so much more. So let's go ahead and get started. Bryce and Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. First, let's start with some introductions Briefly share what's on your resume and any other fun facts about you. I'm Bryce Knorr. I'm the Senior Grain Market Analyst for Farm Futures and the Farm Progress Magazines. Uh, I uh, started out um, as a daily newspaper reporter in 1973, uh, then uh, did that for six years, uh, then went to work for the company that created Dungeons & Dragons and uh, went from there to uh, uh, freelancing, writing children's books and videos. And uh, then when my wife and I decided to start a family, uh, we decided uh, one of us should get a job. And so that kind of looked like me. (laughs) I was the one who wasn't pregnant. And that's when I went to work for Farm (laughs) Futures. And uh, I I left uh, for a time uh, to... uh, uh, join a dot-com starter startup also to be a, uh, a futures broker and then came back in uh, 2004. What's your education background? Where'd you graduate? Well, I uh, got a degree in American civilization, whatever that is, from Lake Forest, Illinois <laughs> College. Cool. And also have about uh, half of a uh, master's degree in communications. Mike, what about you? I'm Mike Wilson. I'm director of content for Farm Futures. I'm going to sound quite boring and conventional compared to what Bryce has has gotten in his background, but uh, I grew up on a farm in northern Illinois, and I went to the University of Illinois, got a degree in uh, ag journalism uh, under the watchful eye of Jim Evans, um, one of my mentors. Yes. I got a job as the managing editor of the FFA magazine out in Alexandria, Virginia, which was a great uh, learning place for me as I was able to make my own travel and arrangements uh, to visit with young people and do interviews and photography all around the country. And I did that for four years and I came back to Prairie Farmer where I had had an internship as a college student and I started working at Prairie Farmer full-time in 1985, and I've actually worked at this company since then. Uh, became an executive editor at, in the early 2000s, 
And then they gave me this new challenge to be editor of Farm Futures in 2004. I guess it was 2004, 2003 or 2004. And I've been doing that ever since. Is that when you guys met each other? Was when Mike started at Farm Futures? Or when did you guys first officially meet? Uh, probably when Farm Futures was uh, bought by uh, the Farm Progress Company okay. in uh, in 1989, 1990. Okay. Mike was one of the uh, uh, the uh, hot young uh, whippersnappers uh, <laughs> who were uh, editing the at uh, uh, the Farm Progress Company at the time. Gotcha. Yeah, that's when I had hair. And then <laughs> Bryce still has his hair, but I do not. So what does that tell you? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Farm Futures. And Bryce has been at Farm Futures in, in many different versions of the publication. He was there when it was uh, sort of the Rolling Stone size. It was okay. very uh, high end, high end, I would call it. And then it was closed down for a short time and was at 99, and then reopened again in more standard magazine form when we were all also going to digital. And that, you know, all that sort of changed in the last 14 or 15 years. So, okay, he's seen it all. Yeah, that's really good background to have, especially as we set up the scene of both of you working on this story together. And um, thank you again, thank you guys again for um, sitting down with me today to talk about um, Farm Like Pharaoh, the story of the year that you guys won this past summer at Ag Media Summit. If people don't know, if they haven't read the story that you two co-authored, you want to give them a quick summary about what the story is about? I read it, and I actually read it quite as different times because I always took something away from it each time. But could you guys just quickly summarize what Farm Like Pharaoh is about, and then we'll get into the backstory of it. Go ahead, Mike. No, actually, Bryce, I think you ought to because it was your original idea. I mean, well, I'll throw in some comments too, but uh, well, Bryce is great. By the way, you ought, to, you ought to realize too that Bryce is kind of the engine of Farm Futures. He, he not only is a market analyst, he's a great journalist, which is a very rare thing to find in our industry anymore. So this, these kinds of great ideas kind of well up when he's seeing data and doing his analysis. And then we sort of start teaming up and on, on various projects. But I'd rather, rather hear Bryce at least start that conversation. Okay, well, see, the reason why I think Mike should tell the story is because I actually made him do most of the work. I just <laughs> came up with the idea. One of my strengths is uh, uh, delegation or uh, uh, avoiding uh, work, uh, if at all possible. Uh, but uh, basically, this is a story that uh, tries to give farmers some help in their long-term planning to deal with the ups and downs of the business cycle in agriculture, which is a boom and bust industry. Mm. And uh, it's certainly not the only one. We saw that just recently with, with a 15% uh, increase in uh, crude oil prices mm -hmm. uh, just based on one event. And so uh, the farmers obviously uh, the last few years have been going through the famine uh, after uh, what was really a series of very good years. So now hopefully we're coming out of that. And so it, it, it's uh, time for producers to start planning for these long-term cycles, uh, which look like they're probably going to continue. 
nothing about agriculture really suggests that it's not going to be a boom and bust industry simply because that's the nature of weather for one mm -hmm. and uh, but also uh, the uh, the nature of just uh, the uh, commodity markets uh, when prices are good everybody around the world wants to grow the stuff so prices go down and then they find other things to do and then there's a disaster or two and prices go up mm -hmm. uh, it's, and uh, literally that's the way it's uh, been since the time of the pharaohs yeah mm -hmm. mike do you have anything to add to that well i have to say uh this story first appeared on our story planning list gosh it had to be three years ago i think it was bryce's idea so when we would meet and have our editorial planning meetings i believe we kind of talked about it how would we approach it and then we just kind of let it go it seemed ambitious. It seemed like a great idea, but for whatever reason, we just kind of laid it on the shelf for a while. Mm -hmm. It was one of those things where, and then I think you have to realize too, I'm no economist. You can tell that from my writings. I mean, I love to write. I love to be a journalist, but I, I do not have the economic or financial background that Bryce has. Uh, but as I, as the last few years, began to unwind with a constant uh, down years in prices, uh, high yields, you know, the last several years since the big boom of the drought year, mm -hmm. and when farmers got rich off of crop insurance, generally speaking, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's real, it seemed to me that, that uh, it was time to kind of put some sort of uh, perspective on what farmers were going through. This idea that you 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 go through you you tread water financially and you keep your powder dry to bring up a cliche you you focus on your working capital for that one time that everything turns your way and then you try to capitalize on it and then there's also this idea of well, what can you do about any of these cycles? Not a lot other than recognize them or at least sort of prepare for them and, and have a, you know, take a different look at your business, make it a world perspective. And then we just basically started getting into the, how will this story come together? And this, again, I, I, I have to, my hat's off to Bryce on this. The, the Pharaoh and Joseph, the, the storytelling in there is all his work. It, it's uh and it, it's really what keeps this story kind of moving along. If you if you read between the lines, and I frankly I had forgotten all about this until I I went to to put it into the uh, to the contest, and then I forgot about it again until all of a sudden it came up at the Ag Media Summit. And then I went back and reread it, and I thought as I was reading it, you you if you enjoy these biblical stories and these references. You you just you just like you're walking through a park and then but you're you're getting all these little tips financial tips marketing tips and, and it all has these great parallels to the this original Bible story mm -hmm. so I feel like that's probably the strength of it it's probably what the judges were uh, saw and recognized the uh, the original uh, story idea uh, uh, was on our uh, 2015 story plan. I mean, one thing we've always done at Farm Futures is try to plan well in advance uh, so that we're not just responding to events. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've always uh, tried to 
uh, have a plan going out at least a year, sometimes two or more. And uh, I guess at that point, you know, 2015, we, we could see the, the downturn was starting to accelerate. We didn't know it was going to last this long. But uh, the, the original uh, working headline was, how do you design a business plan for a boom and bust industry? Mm-hmm. And again, I just had the thought that, you know, particularly the energy uh, industry uh, uh, has been through this before. And we've seen like, we've seen you know, entire communities go through the boom times and then basically get wiped out. And, uh, and there, are, there are parts of the U.S. Who, that uh, just went through that again when crude oil went down below 30 bucks. And um, so it seems like there are industries that, that knew how to deal with this. So the original concept was, was more of a how do other people do it and how can we apply that to agriculture? And actually, we didn't do that at all. <laughs> it, it, yeah, uh, I- it uh, morphed. I remember this now. <laughs> morphed into something entirely different. Uh, again, just because it was one of those stories, we didn't really know anybody in the energy industry, and the uh, the CEO of uh, Exxon or Mobil or whatever, they weren't going to talk to us. So we uh, we never figured out how to do it. And then uh, at some point, uh, you know, being a being a guy who who writes just countless numbers of articles every week, you tend to use some of the same phrases and uh, uh, mm-hmm. metaphors. And one of them was this idea of boom and bust, and that you know, uh, literally, if if you uh, Google Bryce Knorr and since the days of the pharaohs, you'll probably come up with ten stories that I've dropped that line in. Mm-hmm. So so at some point then you know we added added that you know since the time of the pharaohs thing and made it more about agriculture appreciate bryce jogging my memory on this because i remember thinking that great idea and you know his idea was well let's talk to the energy people and i kept thinking to myself who am i going to talk to in the energy field and as is often the case sometimes you get started on other projects that seem a little bit easier to handle Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, it, it, it was easy to sort of put off because we couldn't find the right people to talk to. And then for some reason, uh, it just, it, it, it became a story about agriculture, agriculture cycles. And I remember talking some of this, uh, from my perspective, some of this was from people I had already met and known, uh, this Harvard lecturer, Vic, Vikram Mancharamini uh, was a guy I had been on a program with, and I remember that he had written a, a, a book, Boom and Bustology, and then I thought to myself, well, why don't I just call him, this guy and see if I can uh, pick his brain, and, and maybe this will go somewhere. And sure enough, it was kind of, this, at least from my side of the reporting on this, it was kind of the start of what I figured we could we could sort of uh, make make a story out of this. So my question for you guys, as I'm listening to you talking about the story, the timeline of this story, um, it's not necessarily what I would call evergreen content, but my question is, when is the right time to write a story such as this that it's timely, but yet it's not like event heavy, like you have to put it out next week because of something, but what what is the right timeline 
and when should you let the story just evolve itself and not rush it? Yeah, you know, I think uh, one of the things about this story is it's hopeful. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you know, I think Mike and I have been, have been kind of searching. We just don't want to do doom and gloom stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, particularly as a, as a grain market analyst, I've just finished doing the Farm Progress show, Husker Harvest Days, talking mm-hmm. to, to a lot of farmers. And I said, you know, I don't know if we're going to have boom or bust, but I'm very optimistic that you can make a profit. And that's, that's all, that always kind of the message for farm futures is we think uh, there's always opportunity to make profit. So that's why this type of story is is, uh, evergreen for us, Mm -hmm. uh, because that's our our basic message is trying to help farmers control their their own narrative and not let let the narrative control them. And then the other thing that happened on this, and uh, I think right up until the last moment, or no, probably, you know, when we were actually putting it together and doing the cover, uh, which I think really helped the story because uh, our, uh, our art director, uh, Lisa Lynn, just did, did a great job. Several people wanted to call it Farm Like a Pharaoh. And I said, no, it has to be Farm Like Pharaoh. Because if you go back and, and read the Bible, and, uh, and I'll admit most of my a lot of my Bible knowledge comes from movies like the Ten Commandments and, and Ben-Hur, where they were always, you know, they weren't talking about the Pharaoh, they were talking about Pharaoh. And if you go back and check the language of the Bible, they don't talk about the Pharaoh or a Pharaoh because the stories are always about Pharaoh and the Pharaoh was the Egyptian God. Mm-hmm. And, and so that kind of personalized it, I think, a little bit and kind of made, you know, made it uh, a little bit more relatable and not just a history lesson. Yeah. Also, I would say that a story like this is, it's not timeless, but it was the right time because of the, where we were at in this ag cycle. We were obviously going through yet another year of down prices. And at that point, people were like, farmers were like, well, when's this ever going to turn around? Mm -hmm. And as Bryce said, our, our editorial mission is to never talk about doom and gloom and, you know, hopelessness. Our editorial mission is always to be proactive about what you can do to take advantage of whatever situation situation you're in. Mm -hmm. And that's always been what kind of sets us apart. Uh, I guess, I don't know, you might call it our competitive edge, but um, that's that's how we want to approach things because uh, you can get the doom and gloom anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to be able to give sound, uh, proactive business advice, and and that's that's a that's something that we want to do. But to to answer your question, just a little bit finer point on it, we we do have a, a a planning session. We do try to look at various topics for covers through a, you know a six month planning, maybe twelve months, but things change and stuff gets shelved. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, when the trade war came up, uh, we had something completely different for our cover and then boom, we had a trade war on our hands and we had to improvise, mm-hmm. which uh, just made us turn, you know, I, I think everybody does this. We have to turn, turn and uh, try and figure out what was the best way to help 
readers at that moment, at least as much as you can with either online coverage and or print coverage. So uh, things change and we have to pivot whenever it, it is needed. A story like this, though, I think you could probably run this story uh, again on the cover and it would still be relevant. Is there anything else you guys want to add in talking about how this story came to be? Was there anything you wish you would have done different? Is there anything you wish was stronger? Well, I would say that the one of the strengths of the story is that it has that narrative. And again, this is Bryce's credit. He, he, t he took a lot of my interviews. I had interviewed a couple of economists, one at the Harvard economist, the other an ag economist. I had interviewed a farmer. We had talked about doing this all in advance. And I asked these guys the same kinds of questions, trying to get at what we were trying to do. And Bryce basically structured this story so that it had key points. Mm -hmm. But he also put in to this narrative from the very first sentence to the last, this biblical uh, reference. If you read it, it starts out with, Dwayne Nolan doesn't want to build a pyramid to cement his central Illinois farm's legacy. Right there, you get this hint well, what's this pyramid got to do with anything? And you start seeing these references throughout the story, which I really think is what sets it apart. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that was to his credit. And so, you know, the, we, we collaborate in many different ways, uh, Farm Futures, I suppose they do everywhere. And this just happened to be in that, this happened to come together in a really unique kind of way. Yeah, typically, see, we do a lot of... Uh... Uh, team writing, and uh, so th this is something that we've we've done uh, quite a bit of and have a lot of experience doing. And typically, it it, uh, it it's because there are different people with different expertise that have to contribute. Um, you know, Mike uh, is is real good at uh, talking to farmers and talking uh, talking to uh, some of the academic people. Our policy editor uh, Jackie Fatka. Is, you know, knows Washington inside and out. Mm -hmm. And then I, I bring uh, the, pers the perspective not only of the grain market and that sort of analysis, but I also do survey research of farmers. I've been doing that since 1988. So typically when we kind of plan one of these stories, uh, uh, every time we do a survey, we kind of go over the story list to see if there are questions we can be asking that would fit into that. So a lot of our stories kind of just start off with an introduction and then four or five or six chunks, and that helps break it down uh, so that it's a little bit more readable. But, you know, they, everything does have to be kind of woven together. And that's why the, the story of Joseph, of course, everybody knows that. Uh, I think that's probably one of the first two or three stories from the Old Testament that you learn uh, probably when you're five or six years old. And uh, of course, being uh, being the youngest of three children, I could totally relate to getting <laughs> sold into slavery by my brothers and things like that. So, uh, I mean, it has that great, and, and that's why it was a great, uh, great, great musical and everything because it, because it's just a great story. Right. You guys are kind of talking about the teamwork that's involved with this. Um, can you guys offer any advice or tips on when you are co-authoring a story? Well, I think you have to have a leader. You have to designate a leader. It doesn't necessarily have to be the editor. It could be any of your, any of the people on your team.
team, you have to talk it out. Uh, you want to talk out what it is you're hoping to accomplish, who you think each of you, you know, you, you kind of throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you want to talk about what you're trying to accomplish, who might be some great sources to do that, and who then might be the right people on your team to go get the interviews. And somebody's got to stitch it together. Uh, generally speaking, it's, it's, it might be the person who is doing the lion's share of the work. I've never been on a team uh, story where there's more than, say, three or four people. I know that exists, I, I don't, I, so I can't really speak to that. But I, I do think it, it, it's different for us, too, every time. Every time we do a, a team story, we're kind of making it up as we go in terms of the process. But that's just the nature of the beast. I think you want to, you know, your your final goal is to do your best for your reader. Mm-hmm. And then you just have to figure out working backwards, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, for example, I know Bryce is really great at a lot of things. One of them is uh, writing headlines. He's just, he's just got a knack for it. And so oftentimes I'll, I'll just, you know, when we're trying to, we're struggling with something to put on the cover in terms of a, a great teaser headline, I often ask Bryce if he will give it, you know, give it a shot, and he always comes up with good stuff. I do think you, you need to have, to go with your strengths too, as, yeah. as Bryce said. I could never do the grain market analyst job that he does. He's an expert at economics and finance. So, Will, I would just—it sounds maybe sounds kind of silly, but the, there will be times when we will just call Bryce and kind of interview Bryce, and then either quote him or just use what he tells us on background. But, you know, he gathers this data from his surveys and he gathers, gathers you know, he has this knowledge base from some several years of um, watching markets. So we use him as a resource. One thing I do want to talk about, guys, um, is storytelling itself. So one of the things I actually read just last week is um, storytelling is going to be the number one business skill people need to have in the next five years. I'm kind of curious what your take is on that. Um, It wasn't necessarily a statistic, it was more of someone's opinion, but I thought storytelling is a strong skill to have. And I'm curious what what your um, perspective is on having it be a number one business skill. Well, you see that in a lot of uh, uh, job descriptions and uh, ads for jobs uh, that, uh, you know, they want a storyteller. Now, they aren't looking for journalists. They're typically looking for marketing people. Uh, but I think everybody realizes that yeah, to, to be successful, whether you're a journalist or whether you're selling shoes or whatever you're selling, you need to uh, excite people's imagination and then come up with a story that maybe maybe will go viral, particularly in the, the type of social media age that we live in now. I always, I don't know if I can say this or not in the current environment, but uh, I always used to tell, tell Mike, uh, Mike, you got to sex this up. You know, you, <laughs> you gotta, yeah. I've heard that too. You know, you got to add some sizzle, and that—that's of course is like a basic advertising thing. You know, you sell the sizzle, and uh, so you really have to try to create some some excitement because people have so many different alternatives for 
how they can spend their time and how, how they get to get information, uh, you have to really be able to sell a story just to, you know, get them to, to read it, particularly if it's longer than, you know, a paragraph or two. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Uh, when we think about how we approach our copy, we think about all the different things that farmers could be doing other than reading our stuff which is humbling, but it's a reality check that everybody in the industry needs to make because there's so many things, not just competing publications or websites, but uh, you might want to go listen to the ball game. You might, you know, your spouse might need you to go do some errands. You need to play with the children, whatever. There's a hundred things that they could be doing other than reading our copy. And we know that. We know that every time we sit down to try to write a compelling lead that somebody's going to want to read. So we all, I think as writers, we all face that challenge. I do some judging of other, other countries, uh, writing awards and the things that the stories that always draw me, that get me excited are the ones that, uh, have information in them, but are written in a way that tells a story. It may be, you know, heavily on descriptive writing. Uh, it, it generally has a lead that places you, you know, in the situation. It, uh, it may give you, start with an anecdotal lead, which helps readers sort of relate to who, you know, what's going on. Mm -hmm. It provides a crisis that is going to be, you know, uh, you, you write in some tension that provides some tension throughout the story that eventually you find out how the crisis is solved. Uh, you know, people like a mystery. They want to get from A to Z, but, you know, you need to take them there as a writer. So, you know, storytelling comes in all different fashions, and I've, you know, done this many, many years, and I still don't think I've gotten it right. I think once in a while we get lucky and we, we hit on something, and that's great. But I think as most writers will tell you, uh, you know, this is not a, there's no science to it. You have to, you have to work hard and you have to try your best every time that you put, put some, you know, words together to, to get someone's attention and get them to read it from start to finish. If you can do that, you really accomplish something. What you really just hit on there, Mike, just really hit home for me because People have so many choices nowadays and you want to put information out there that's credible, but also catching. And when you were talking earlier about Bryce um, doing headlines really well, I would like that skill because headlines are my weakness. But it goes back to your point of it takes a team, really, a team of people to put a story together that has different strengths and to really put together an award-winning story like you guys did. And sometimes it's just, uh, you know, the, the, the key to coming up with ideas or to writing good headlines is you just have to sit back and think. If it doesn't come one day, it may come the next day. But you actually have to just spend some time thinking and then keep your eyes open. When I was a newspaper reporter, I worked for uh, a, a morning paper down in uh, Fort Lauderdale. So that meant I worked on Sundays when there wasn't a lot of traditional hard news. And I knew that if I didn't come up with a story 
the city desk was going to assign me something and I would hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate being told what to do. Am I going to attest to this? So I just thought <laughs> driving around until I saw something and said, well, that's interesting. I can make a story out of that. And one day it was a lady kind of out in a semi-rural area, an unincorporated area, and she had four Porsches parked in her front yard of not a fancy house, just kind of a ramshackle house, and she was out washing them. So I pulled over and asked her, how come you have four Porsches and did a story about it? So, I mean, sometimes you just have to uh, kind of open your eyes and uh, see what's out there and, uh, you know, think of, you know, what could, what could be a story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they mentioned that uh, in my journalism, like 200 class, Um, the best advice she gave us was just be present and show up. And sometimes showing up meant going out and just looking with your eyes. What do you see? What do you hear? And just um, touching on those natural instincts um, to see what you can find. I think that's great advice. I remember the same kind of uh, experience when I was in, uh, I think it was J350, my first real journalism class, and the guy, professor just said, go out and get a story. <laughs> you know, I was like, what? We didn't know what we were doing, but, you know, uh, and, and in my internship with Prairie Farmer, too, it's the, same, it's the same idea. You Just go talk to people. If you're in a meeting, go talk to five people and say, oh, what's, what's on your mind these days? What, what's your biggest worry? What keeps you up at night? And you will get a story. Yeah. You just have to listen. I see my job quite often as I, I collect ingredients for something. I don't know exactly what the final uh, dish is going to be. I will do many interviews, just talk to people. Somebody might say something that sparks something that I'd never thought about. This happens all the time. And you go off on sort of what we call a fishing expedition, and we see what we can make of it. We, you know, we might have a story and we might realize, well, that's just not, that didn't really work. And that's okay. There's something that people need to remember as journalists, I think, is that Sometimes your ideas don't necessarily pan out and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to follow them. And what happens usually mm-hmm. is they lead to something completely different. And that does pan out. That, that turns into a great story. Mm-hmm. That's happened many times uh, for me and I'm sure other journalists as well. You, you go down one direction and then you realize that's not really the story. The story's mm-hmm. over there. Mm-hmm. But you have to be open to that idea and, and then follow it. Mm-hmm. And then you just collect your ingredients and, be, and you make a nice kick out of it at the end. Yeah. I think it's important for them to evolve too. I think from my experience when I was doing radio in college, my radio internships, is sometimes there'd be an idea and I tried to rush it. And sometimes I just needed it to let it evolve, let it soak, let it marinate a little bit, get more information and make it into a better, stronger story. I don't want to just do something for the heck of it to make a story out of it. I want it to have impact. I want it to be read. To your point earlier, they, a lot of people could be doing something else than reading or listening to a story. Sometimes you can't find, uh, sometimes you have to wait until you realize what sense of urgency is. We Oftentimes we say, you know, tell me why I'm, my philosophy, and maybe Bryce as well, I'm not sure, but uh, when I'm talking to another writer or a freelancer, I will say, tell me why you're telling me this. Tell me why you're telling me this now. 
So in other words, you're not just going to write a lead, but you're going to say in the lead somewhere, uh, this isn't, this is something you need to read right now. And here's why. And that, then that leads to the, to the nut graph and to the, you know, the, the various other comments that go into the story. Mm-hmm. But uh, we work- all need a sense of urgency. Yeah, a lot of my work is uh, done in statistics. And in statistics, there's a, con- a concept called the null hypothesis. You're trying to uh, prove uh, that there is a relationship uh, to, some, to, to two factors. Uh, you're trying to disprove the null hypothesis. And uh, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. And as, you know, as somebody who works with numbers, uh, if there's not a statistically significant relationship, you can't report it, mm-hmm. you know? So you just have to move on and either find something else or, you know, uh, search down another rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my other questions I have for you guys, both being great seasoned veteran journalists, do you guys have any creative secrets when it comes to storytelling that someone told you once and it's affected your work from there on? Deadlines. <laughs> you got a deadline. If you, know, if, if you don't make it, you turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> Deadlines can make you very creative, right, Bryce? Right. Uh, I think I, I really don't know if there's any secrets. Um, I certainly don't have anything secret that I know that I haven't. If I get a, if I read something I like, or I read it, you know, the, the way somebody has written something, I will try to, you know, steal it because that's the best form of flattery, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you want to read good writing. You want to, you want to always try to read good, good writing. You want to try and figure out why it's great. Um, I do think that uh, being anecdotal, being and putting people in into the scene in, in your writing whenever it's possible is a good is a good thing because it helps people feel like they're involved in the, what's happening in the story. Uh, I don't think that's a big secret. I just think it's a good thing that you can try and do. Um, and, and make sure that the thing flows correct, you know, logically, you know, why are you telling me this? Uh, here's the, the basic point, the nut graph of the story, as they say in the wall street journal formula, then you, you know, you give your pros and cons, you bring in supportive evidence, you, you bring in the other side. You, you wrap up your stories, your feature stories with a reference back to the beginning, which is a, a, a subconscious way of telling the reader, oh, the story is over now. Mm-hmm. Do you follow what I'm saying? If you, mm-hmm. as Bryce did with the, with the pyramid reference, and then he ends the story with another reference to Joseph, um, it's it's just a, it's not a secret. It's it's an old w, uh, WSJ formula, but it works for everybody. Sometimes we can't do that, but if you're writing a, a lengthy feature, you should be able to, especially if it has this this theme like we did with this story. Mike, you mentioned reading other good content. Do you or Bryce have any recommendations when it comes to? Um, continued learning or reading good things, what should people be looking for? Is there something specific, like in terms of resources or anything like that that you'd recommend? Well, I think that there's a really great writing out there. It is going to sound like a cop-out, but oftentimes when you're reading all day, you, you sometimes don't 
allow yourself the time to just read for pleasure. But mm-hmm. I, do, I do think that Wall Street Journal is great, is a great read. Those, those folks really know what they're doing. Uh, I think Bloomberg is great. Uh, I've read great novels. You know, I've read Willa Cather. Uh, I thought To Kill a Mockingbird was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, the classics and stuff. I would, I would love to be able to read more books if I, if I gave myself the time. It's like I said, it's a cop out. Everybody should read as much as they can. Just read for enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I only read uh, one, one magazine other than Farm Futures, and that's the, the uh, New Yorker. And uh, oftentimes I'll read it cover to cover, even stuff that uh, I really am not all that interested in, like opera or classical music uh, it's, or uh, art. You know, it, it, it's still, still interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one, uh, and I'll give a, a shameless plug <laughs> Go uh, to, to, a, uh, to a family member. I think probably the best the best uh, nonfiction book that I've read is called uh, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. It's about a woman uh, who's uh, died of uh, cancer in uh, Baltimore, African-American woman in the late 1940s. And uh, they cultured her cells and the cells would not die. And they were known as HeLa cells for Henrietta Lacks. And they, they became, uh, there have been billions of tons of these produced, and uh, they've been used in research, everything from developing the polio vaccine, you name it. Uh, these are uh, one of the most important medical uh, finds. And uh, this woman's family didn't know anything about it. They never got any money from any of this. And uh, my uh, cousin's daughter, uh, Rebecca Skloot, learned about this when she was uh, uh, taking her uh, uh, science class at an alternative high school and it stuck with her and she went on to uh, she wrote for popular science and Nolan did a lot of things and she had this book it took her 10 years to get it published um, the uh, family family at first did not want to talk to her uh, and uh, so she had to, uh, she was you know, living thousands of miles away usually. So she had to convince them, of course, to, to trust her. And, uh, and then it's, it's a story about, uh, you know, human life, but also uh, one about uh, science and uh, a very technical science sort of, uh, sort of subject. She interv- interviewed a lot of subject, a lot of scientists because she, she is a science writer. But the, the story, uh, whenever we would hear from her, uh, from her mother or uh, her grandmother, my aunt, they would be talking about Becca's book, <laughs> Becca's book. And literally it took 10 years and uh, she went through a couple, couple book, book deals that fell through. And finally she got an editor who said, uh, you have to put yourself into the story and tell how you got the story. And that's what really made it work. Of course, she didn't want to do that just like a lot of journalists don't want to do that she did it and that's what really made the book work and it was amazon's book of the year uh bestseller and uh oprah winfrey made it into a movie and uh so it's probably the most uh the most famous uh, science book of the last last 10 or 15 years understanding the amount of work that went into it and you just you to make something great you just have to be tenacious yeah 
That's good. Drop the mic right there. We're done. <laughs> that's, that's really good advice. And uh, what was the what was the name of that book again? Tell me to one more time. The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. I recently just um, renewed my library card because I'm committed to reading more. I'm just finishing up Michelle Obama's book, and um, that's the commitment I've made for 2019: is just to read more. Uh, immerse myself in newspapers, things like that, so I can be better about my own storytelling tactics. Good advice. Could I just make a follow-up point on Bryce's uh, sure. story about science? Because I think that uh, we are doubly, triply challenged now and to, to live in a world where science is doubted, but mostly science is misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And we we, we, I think our biggest challenge is as agriculture becomes more complex and scientific, uh, we have to figure out how to tell those stories. And we have to be able to figure out how to communicate with the scientists and the researchers who are, are doing that work and then tell their story in a way that people, it gets noticed because this, is very, this has become a very big challenge for our, us today and it will only get more more difficult as we move forward. And this is, a, I think, a lesson and a, a challenge for all of us, not just ag journalists, but everybody involved in ag communications, uh, whether you're talking to a consumer audience or a farmer audience. It's a, it's a, it's a tough one. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we, any of us have really have the answers yet, mm-hmm. but uh, storytelling is a way of doing that, yeah. making, putting some, putting the human side into any, kinds of research or science that is necessary to, to help people relate to it. One last question for you guys. Where can people follow your work and connect online? That would be farmfutures.com. Okay. Yep. You guys, do you guys have a Twitter or anything people can connect with you? I think Farm Futures Twitter feed is okay. uh, Farm Futures, isn't that Bryce? Yeah, at Farm Futures and there's a Facebook page and that sort of thing. People just Googled farm like Farrell, they'll be able to go on and read the story, correct? I think yes, that's, uh, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. it, I can give you that link. It's okay, bit.ly slash farm dash like dash Pharaoh. The word Pharaoh is P-H-A-R-A-O-H. Second. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you hopping on with me today. I learned a lot. Uh, just puts a new motivator in me to go out and tell some more stories. Well, thank Thank you. you. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the AgCom Network podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and now Spotify. Just search the AgCom Network podcast. Until next time, thanks so much for hanging out with me. This has been an Ag Communicators Network podcast. Thanks for listening. And please visit us online at agcomnetwork.com for more great content.